Hello, thanks for tuning in. You are listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, the UK geek podcast for moaners. This is episode 417, recorded on Thursday, the 23rd of December 2021. I hesitated there for a moment. And the time at the beginning of the show is 15.3406. Hello, everyone. Hello again. Let's start off with how I am. I'm back after a little illness. I wasn't too well from the COVID booster, but I'm glad I had it. And I wasn't too well for a lot of different reasons. I seem to be getting better. The other reason that I haven't been around for a few days, and in fact this and the next episode are a bit late, is simply I couldn't be bothered. I was having a can't-be-bothered break. No doubt you are sick of hearing how sick I am from those ongoing problems to do with the antacid and whatever. I take the drugs to treat G-E-R-D, GERD, antacid addiction, particularly to PPIs, is fairly common. Just look it up. On the other hand, the slightly better news is that I've managed to reduce my dose from two pills a day to one pill a day to one pill every other day. If I take any less than that, there are quite severe consequences like ending up in casualty, which happened a few years ago. The point is, I'm as okay as I'm going to be. More importantly, my motion sickness, a symptom of the acid reflux has subsided, which means I can again feel captainly and piratey without wanting to violently throw up. Not so much anymore as R, although I'm still pondering the annoyingness of this captain persona, but I'm rowing with it. God, rolling with it. <laughs> Don't you hate people who have to explain puns? Yeah, I'm coping with it for now. In other news, I had a self-haircut. I'm not quite the Jerry Cornelius rock star I want to be, but I am looking less revolting. Sorry about that, I had to hit pause for just a moment to turn on the light, it's just too dark to see my show notes. I'm again recording in the Tower of Wizardry, rather than the studio, using a shotgun mic. I just wanted a change. And as you probably noticed from me telling you the time I'm recording this, I'm recording it a little earlier than usual. Let's move on to how things are with a podcast. I've talked about the state of me. Let's talk about the state of the pod. It is not good. I'm averaging roughly, very roughly, about a thousand downloads per episode. I have come up with that figure by modestly extrapolating the around 500 views from archive.org which seems to be a fairly accurate figure, that I get for each episode. And I'm guessing that that 500 downloads are at least duplicated 
across the plethora of platforms this podcast is syndicated. That's a fairly conservative estimate. Maybe it's more. But I think if it was more, I would get more listener interaction. On the surface, around a thousand seems almost fine. But I've been doing this podcast for almost a decade. Are you still not convinced? Do you think this nerd complaineth too much? Perhaps. But I have not received a new review in six years. I have not had a single supporter tip me a single pound or dollar since I started podding. I very rarely get any comments. I have tried engaging the audience by hosting chats, forums, other stuff, with zero results. I have even tried interacting with other podcasters, the greater podcasting community, uh, community, until I'm blue in the face. Every episode I do, I think of giving up, but then what else would I do? Besides, I do enjoy podcasting, but that does not mean I don't crave credit and recognition. Everyone does. Because we are not Vulcans, I'm not an emotionless bloody robot, I'm an emotional bloody robot. There's no solution to this situation that I think has become a farce that I can think of, so I'm just going to leave that thought heavy with pessimism, dangling uncomfortably in the silence. But it is Christmas Eve Eve. When did that become a thing? Christmas Eve Eve. When even I can't be a total git, so even if the majority of humanity is getting right on my wick right now, Merry Christmas, Eve, Eve, to one and all. At least Christmas is organised and ready to go at Castle Royenstein. There are presents for all, except me, but that's my own damn fault, as I couldn't decide what I wanted in time, so I'm not particularly bitter or anything about that. That's my fault. Except for the grumpy last-minute shoppers who can kiss my driver's seat when they see my car vanishing into the wintry distance with a last piece of Stilton in England. Yes. Again, I hope you're all well out there. That's the pre-show section done. Let's move on to the show itself and talk some culture. I found this nifty little article that I'm sure I've seen before. It is titled 20 Popular South Asian DC and Marvel Superheroes. It is an article by a writer called Haya Zaidi. The heroes include Arani, Desai, aka Celsius, the first DC South Asian character, created in 1977, and both Dr. Niles Calder's wife and the first leader of Doom Patrol. She is an immortal martial artist 
with a control over extremes of temperature. Well, temperature in general, but I'm assuming that he would want to cast burning heat or icy cold rather than a gust of lukewarm air, which isn't quite as dramatic. I'm, of course, mentioning these South Asian comic book characters because I am a person who is descended from people from South Asia. South Asia? Why don't we just say Asia? Oh, and by the way, if you look in the show notes, I have left a link to that article in the show notes, but you can find it just by googling that title that I mentioned, and that was 20 Popular South Asian DC and Marvel Superheroes by Haya Zaidi. Oh, oh God, I must be getting old. Crossed my leg and my leg went to sleep. Next, The Expanse. As I've been saying, I've been watching The Expanse. I have now seen episode two. I saw it last Saturday. And because I do so miss Captain Clays Ashford, played by David Strahan, the space pirate, I'm glad to see the show has a new pirate space captain again in the shape of Liang Walker, played by Stuart Hughes, currently making a deal with drummer. Welcome to the captain's table, Captain Walker. Ah, Sorry. Next, Cowboy Bebop. This is a new live-action realisation of cult 90s sci-fi anime TV show about space bounty hunters. John Cho is in absolutely astonishing physical shape for his age. For anyone's age, actually. And sublimely cool as the main protagonist, ex-gangster Spike Spiegel. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Those old alliterative superhero type names. Cowboy Bebop is jazzy, cool. It's a neon dream with great effects, a great cast, but the dialogue seems oddly paced with peculiar long pauses. I'm guessing those pauses are to strike a cool pose, but it doesn't seem to quite work for me, and really, unfortunately, I'm just not that interested in the story, which is very conventional. We go out, we grab the bad guys, we bring them back, we get a reward, and we act really cool. Although I have watched an episode or two of the original anime, My nearest frame of reference to something similar, of a similar vein, is the Han Solo-ish space adventure Cobra, which was also slated for a live-action reboot helmed by Alexandra Ajar, but was mired in development hell. Given how Cowboy Bebop has fared, this is probably for the best. Anime is not live-action. It's not a one-to-one translation, which is the same thing that I've said about books, about comics. They are all their own thing, and they can't just go from anime straight to using live actors. Although anime has influenced so many other media, 
For example, in the film Chronicle, Andrew is basically the character Tetsuo from Akira. I can't think of any anime that has made it on its own successfully to live action. Not off the top of my head. I might be wrong. Let me know if I'm wrong. Next, I've got a little addendum to my review of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings in pod 416. Although I mentioned the trivial things like martial arts and dragons, etc., I feel I missed out on some cultural commentary that I should have included in that review. As an Asian myself of the Indo-Mauritian variety, there were a few important vignettes in Shang-Chi that struck a chord. Indo-Mauritian, yet my family migrated from India to Mauritius in the 1800s. And by the way, I don't like the term Indo-Mauritian, I just prefer Mauritian like most Mauritians would, but I'm using it here as a form of lazy shorthand just to make things a little clearer to listeners who might be unfamiliar with my background. Okay, and on to those vignettes. Though many aspects of Asian culture are things that are not uniquely Asian, there are notions that we greatly adhere to, sometimes painfully so, sometimes under tremendous pressure. In Shang-Chi, we see the multi-generational family unit, the emphasis on duty, on status, oh my god, status, that one's a biggie, ambition, and making something of your life. I found those portrayals in Shang-Chi of Asian life accurate as an Asian. And finally, I'm not going to go on about this for too long, but the last thing was I really appreciated the fact that people took off their goddamn shoes before entering the home. Let's move on to the main thing tonight, and that is my review of Last Night in Soho. I have been waiting to see Edgar Rice's latest movie for a while. Last Night in Soho is a nostalgic, time-travelling, psychedelic horror film. With a description like that, it is guaranteed that I was looking forward to seeing it. In Last Night in Soho, in the present day, Eloise, Ellie Turner a girl with a serious passion for 60s retro, is a fresher fashion student in the big bad seedy smoke from the relative sticks of Redruth in Cornwall. Just a little aside here, hello Redruth from Mum and Dad, whose late friend Rene was from Redruth. Okay, so this girl's in London's West End, from the sticks, and the sordid history of London's West End, where her college is situated, begins to impinge on her present when she moves into an old bedsit. Each night she sleeps, and when she sleeps, she dreams of her glamorous, mystical twin 
trying to make it big as a starlet in the sickening casting couch culture of the 60s, and sadly, until fairly recently, the present. Me too. And as Ellie in the modern day dreams of this past character, the grisly ghosts of the past start to manifest while we follow Ellie's arc from shy and mousy girl, from obscurity to arty, gothy fashion student to promising graduate. The area in which most of the film was shot I know quite well, although it was also filmed in other locations in London. I have been a frequent visitor to the West End since childhood. I went to university, also quite near, just off Tottenham Court Road, one of the universities I went to. And frankly, I know it quite well from spending most of my pre-pandemic leisure time in the West End. That familiarity with the area, I don't know if it made the film any better, but there was something that got to me, because those are the same streets that I've walked for years, and now we see Ellie walking through those streets and all these ghosts rising up from where they're buried. I don't know, it did strike a chord. The movie also has lots of Edgar Wrightisms. There's the way the area, smoky and old, and grimy and new, still seem somehow bright, cartoony, and colourful. There's the zombie horde-like ghosts. There's the occasional touch of humour. One in particular I remember, it was a bit on the nose but I enjoyed it, was when her perhaps only friend, John, who's from South London, tells Ellie he understands what it's like living so far from home. <laughs> and yeah, you know what, sure, South London, which I'm also from originally, is a very different place to the West End. And is one of the reasons I prefer the West End. The soundtrack to Last Night in Soho is fantastic as well. I love that Barry Ryan's Eloise, the pre-goth rock cover by The Damned original, is so key to the film. It's a song I love. And by the way, Barry Ryan died, uh, according to Google, earlier this year. If he's not dead, I apologise, but if he is, R.I.P. Barry Ryan. I love seeing a facsimile version of Scylla Black, or Scylla Black impersonator, playing the original Scylla Black. That was very nostalgic and retro. And, of course, hearing Petula Clark and Sandy Shaw, though the erotic puppet-on-the-string parody at the Rialto thoroughly creeped me out. In the modern-day portion of the movie, there's also Susie and the Banshees' fantastic, addictive Happy House, a typical contemporary student Halloween party choice. Except not at any university I've ever been to. I can only remember the unimaginative DJ playing the Rocky Horror Picture Show's Time Warp. Although that's very good, it's just played out when I was at Dorset Institute of Higher Education. By the way, 
some rugby playing wag I don't know wrote of amazing times when he attended at the same time as me. And by amazing times, I mean drunk, well, rugby player. My recollections of that time were that it was generally crap. Ram that right up your yearbook, Alumni Society. <laughs> Sorry about that digression of anger and bitterness. The cast of Last Night in Soho are great. New Zealand actress Thomasine McKenzie, who only occasionally triggered my accent fascism, is Eloise. Michael Ajayo is her friend John, a sweet, nerdy character who, frankly, and I speak from personal experience, would never, ever get the girl. Terence Stamp plays a dirty old bastard, and Matt Smith plays a dirty young bastard. Diana Rigg is Miss Collins, a sad landlady. And Anya Taylor-Joy, who played the character Beth Harmon, the lead in The Queen's Gambit, is perfectly cast as the starlet. Those are but a few of the great performances. The film as a whole made me nostalgic for a time slightly before my time, but a time my mum and dad are familiar with. And that's Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. Definitely worth a watch, especially if you have the West End and London fixation that I do. Right, so we have now talked about Last Night in Soho. We have sent Barry Ryan off through the pearly gates. It is now time to send some other famous people off. R.I.P. Anne Rice. I retweeted news of horror novelist Anne Rice's death, but forgot to include it in the last Geekly Weekly. Anne Rice really changed the face of vampire fiction when she wrote the short story and later novel Interview with a Vampire. I, in fact, first came across her work from the 1968 short story, reprinted in an anthology I can't remember the name of. Both my mother and I are fans of Anne Rice and gothic horror slash romance in general and have read several of her works. So from the both of us, R.I.P. Anne Rice, October the 4th, 1941 to December the 11th, 2021. Next person of extra normal note to pop his clogs, Mike Nesmith. Which was the other omission from my last Geekly Weekly. A Best of the Monkeys cassette tape was one of my first musical purchases. I played that tape over and over and over again and enjoyed the corny TV show as well as a child. Although starting as a manufactured pop band, they, the monkeys, learned to play their instruments, write songs, and went on to have careers, especially Mike Nesmith, in the music and entertainment industry. R.I.P. Mike Nesmith, December the 30th, 1942, to December the 10th, 2021. Seriously, if you haven't already, check out the monkeys. They are great. 
That is it for the culture section. Let us move on to technology. I have to read out the title of this next item. Dr. Death 3D Prints Suicide Booth. Yes, I'm not kidding. Unbelievably, everything in that headline that I just read out is 100% accurate. Reported widely, Dr. Philip Nishka, a.k.a. Dr. Death, I'm absolutely not making that nickname up, has developed the futuristic sarcopod. Self-operated by the user, the tiny science-fiction-style space pod-like contraption delivers nitrogen to reduce the oxygen environment inside the pod, causing the occupant to lose consciousness and die. The plan for the pod will be released open source so that anyone can build one themselves. While I understand that unbearable physical suffering is part of the human condition, I'm not sure I like how easy this invention makes it to clock off permanently. Dr. Death, your invention gives me the willies. On a more serious note, if you are feeling bad, really bad, well, suicidal, and you're in the UK, you can call the Samaritans on 116-123-247. And that is it for the main part of the show. We are now in the after-show section. I just wanted to reiterate a vitally important point from earlier on. Even if you are not Asian, this will have some relevance. I know many people of all cultures already do this, given the prevalence of hardwood floors, but if you are a stubborn holdout, even if you are not Asian, take off your shoes. Your floors will thank you. And that, my friends, is it. We have come to the end of my little Christmas Eve Eve show. I've got another episode for you tomorrow. That is a Doctor Who episode. Everything's ready to go, so there's no real excuses for delays other than the fact that maybe I'll be feeling rotten and will just want to stick two fingers up, or one finger up at the entire world and crawl under the quilt. But if that does not happen, I'll be recording a Doctor Who show tomorrow, Vintage Doctor Who Revisit. That is the story... The Power of Crawl. If you're into Vintage Doctor Who, have a listen, even if you're not. Have a listen, it's really good. If I do say so myself, and I do. That is it. The show is made by me, Roy Matur, a writer. Matur is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMatur.com. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen. Recommend it to a friend or a mortal enemy if you hate it. Or click on the contact or support link on the website. Yes, you can donate me a couple of quid and that will help me carry on, and also encourage me to know that I'm actually doing something right. That is it. Thanks for tuning in. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, the continuingly stupid titled podcast... Also, the UK Geek Podcast. This was episode number 417, recorded on 
Thursday, the 23rd of December 2021, and the time at the end of the show is 16.10.33. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye!